You'll notice these Democrats don't slow down for anyone on the other side, do they? They don't even feel the need, it seems, to even try to ask Republicans, hey, are there some things you guys could agree would be a good idea for the country? Nope. You, what you have here is a Biden administration that is giving you policies that you would have gotten from the more openly left-wing candidates in the last presidential election, uh, but with the front man of Joe Biden, George, hey, here I am. I'm not, I'm not scary. I, you know, hey, no joke. I'm Joe Biden. I'm, you know, you can trust me. Yeah, sure. The whole thing's a fraud. The whole thing's a joke, except it's not funny. Not a single area where they can find just open common ground with Republicans. No, they, their approach is after a very narrow election to just bust out the steamroller and squash the other side as fast as you can and do so in a way that you hope will make sure that there is no political opposition worthy of the name going forward. There's also not going to be any political opposition unless we get a handle on the social media sites and the, the kind of censorship they engage in. As you know, the left wants to continue to remove any voices online that they don't agree with, particularly anybody like me who challenges the Fauciite consensus Twitter and Facebook said they were open platforms. That's a lie. They're tracking you. They're selling your data and they're taking action against your beliefs. That's why you need to do what I do and use ExpressVPN. When you use ExpressVPN on your devices, you anonymize much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And ExpressVPN couldn't be easier to set up. You just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com buck, expressvpn.com buck to protect your data today. These Democrats don't miss a beat. They're just going for it right away. Today, you got Biden's executive orders on gun control. And and this is one of these moments where they're they're moving the goalposts right, you know, right before our very eyes. They're not even they're not even pretending like that's not what's happening. They they point to two shootings recently. And, and then they're saying, well, because of that, we have to take all these different executive actions. And you sit there and say, well, hold on a second. Would would these executive actions really uh, save any lives? And also, if it's so obvious, if it's so clear, why not just do this through the legislative arm of the government? Ah, because there are Democrats who don't want to be held to account for what they do in the United States Senate in particular. There are Democrats who don't want to upset their constituencies in the House of Representatives because there are still some places where you can pretend to be pro-Second Amendment and a Democrat. Now, you're never really, even if you are personally as a politician, because the Democrat Party fundamentally does not believe in guns. And I have to tell you, this is a year that we've gone through that should be a big reminder to everybody about what government tyranny can really look like. This should be a reminder that the government can decide you don't have rights and in this case, we all sat around and, and because we were so scared and everyone believed the Fauci warnings and all the media panic, we obeyed overwhelmingly. 
And the force of government was used because it was supposed to be temporary. We'll see how temporary it is to tell everyone to stay home. And because of our virtual society and the fact that we are an incredibly, uh, incredibly wealthy country with with lots of abundance, our biggest problem for a lot of the remote working class, not the people that actually had to show up and do their jobs, was staying home, gaining weight as they ordered in food or they spent more time cooking and watching a lot of our endless entertainment options on screens, you would not have been able to do this 15 years ago. Wouldn't have had the bandwidth, the actual Internet bandwidth to do this. Wouldn't have had a, a population that was as compliant. But now the, the mechanisms for control of all of us from these little screens that are dominated by leftist authoritarians, all the social media platforms, the news organizations. You know, there are a few pockets here and there of opposition like this show. And what are they trying to do? Shut those down, too. But if you were ever wondering, would a government go tyrannical? Uh, I think we've already seen that answer. And I also believe that at some level, there's always this in the back in the back of the minds of people who own firearms, legal, legally owned firearms by American citizens who believe in the Constitution, they, they recognize that the Second Amendment exists as a check on absolute tyranny for the government. That's why it's there. It's actually not there for hunting. It's not there because somebody might want to go do some sporting clays on the weekend. And yet the Democrats despise this. They, they have bought into this idea that if only we punish the law-abiding gun owner more, There'll be there'll be less violence. I'm sorry. This is this goes to a much deeper philosophy of the authoritarian left. This goes to their desire to make sure they could also institute total control over your life and there'd be nothing to stop them. You really think they don't want to do that? Look at all the plans. Look at all the just constant meddling and and all the different ways that they want to tell you what to do with everything. I mean, this is. This is deeply rooted in the soul of progressives, of Democrats, of leftists, that their ideas should be filtered through this government mechanism of of force, by the way, and you have to do it. And I believe that covid uh, lockdowns have been a very powerful reminder of just how quickly they're willing to forget all about individual liberty and how they're willing to use the force of the state to make you do things that are truly moronic and counterproductive and all under the guise of saving lives. That's what they'll say. Remember this, friends. Very rarely in history do the people that have done really terrible things think they're the bad guys. You know, just like the lockdowners have convinced themselves we're saving lives when they're not. People who do awful things, who violate the rights of individuals, who violate natural law, uh, they do so because of a collectivist belief in things going better for the masses. That's what they really that's what they really adhere to. So now we have this with with gun control. The Biden administration's put out these uh, these these six planned executive orders, including on ghost guns. Oh, you got to You got to have that one in there. How many of you had ever heard of or even seen in any capacity a ghost gun before now? I, I know this audience has got a lot of people who own firearms. How many of you are like, yeah, ghost guns. That's a thing that we should all be thinking about. It's where it's where these kits allow you to create some parts of a firearm. But remember, there's 
There's the the actual receiver, which is a tightly controlled item and serialized. You know, there are, there are parts that actually constitute a firearm under the federal firearm under federal firearms law. And that hasn't changed. But they, they say if we get rid of ghost guns, everything will be better somehow, as if this is going to stop things. Remember when that when the moral panic of the moment was on was on bump stocks. Oh, my gosh. Bump stocks this is because of the horrible shooting that we've still never found out the motive for, by the way. We still have no idea what the motive is for the awful shooting that happened in Las Vegas. But then it was, let's ban bump stocks. And even people that own guns were saying, bump stocks? And everyone was going on YouTube or going online to try to find out what the heck this thing is. And you had, memorably, USA Today put its modification for AR-15s of the chainsaw bayonet. We must stop the chainsaw bayonets! This is the madness of the gun grabbers. It just moves from one thing to another, but it's always in this cycle of what we've already talked about before. It's like they have a menu and they go down the menu and they keep ordering these things and they won't actually get it through the legislature. They want to do it through the executive branch now. That's the idea because that makes accountability more difficult. Like the little tyrants they are, they, they prefer to have the, the ability to do things when it's their turn in power but not actually have a direct line of accountability to the people that are supposed to make laws. So, oh, they're going after stabilizing braces, which they say can make a pistol seem more like a rifle. So let, let's understand this. Let's break down something like this for a second. A vast majority of homicides in this country, which went up a lot last year, by the way, because of BLM and the undermining of police. We all know that, right? Uh, worst murder record in this country in major cities in particular since 1995, folks. OK, we're talking about over 20 years here, the worst murder rate in America in over 20 years. And we understand where it comes from. Now they want to disarm law abiding folks or they want to make things more difficult for you. Remember, these laws, they, they all come with penalties. And eventually it gets to a place where somebody gets caught up in one of these stupid regulations and they want to make an example of them. And they do a deterrence prosecution, they call it. And so someone who, you know, has a, a, a 15 round magazine instead of 10 or has a 10 round magazine instead of seven or whatever it is, is charged criminally as though they're a bad person. And Democrats go, sorry, to make an omelet, you got to break a few eggs. That's what's going to happen. This is not going to make anyone safer. This is not going to protect anybody. But you know what it does do? It makes Democrats feel like they're doing something. They feel like they're taking worthwhile action here. And that's the most important thing. How does it make them feel? What's the real world result of all of this? What ends up being the truth of this situation? Oh, that, that's, that's irrelevant. Because the most important thing of all is that Democrats get to tell their friends, we're stopping gun violence. Notice the way they play all these word games too. Gun safety. Gun safety are things like always... Keep uh, always treat all guns as though they're loaded. Keep your finger off the trigger until you've made the affirmative decision to shoot. Know your target. Know what's in front of it. Know what's behind it. Right. I mean, that's gun safety. Gun safety is not we're going to have federal new federal regulations that will create some really minute but annoying changes to firearms laws as, as though that's going to address that over 90 percent of, of firearms used in homicides in the United States uh, were our handguns, for example. 
But no, let's go after let's go after assault rifles because oh, there's there's a couple of mass shooting incidents. Let's go after assault rifles right away. Turns out the rifle used in Boulder, Colorado is, is actually a modified pistol, but it looks like a rifle. It's that guy could have done exactly what he did if he had gone in there just with a just with a pistol or two pistols. Nidal Hassan, you remember the Ford Hood shooter? He did all of that horrible carnage with two handguns. The Virginia Tech shooter essentially used two semi-automatic handguns, did not have a rifle. And yet we're told that if we get rid of assault rifles, which we are not even going to be able to do, there are millions and millions of AR-15s in existence, tens of millions, I think, now in civilian hands in this country, is the estimate. That's going to make us safer how. Notice they don't win the argument. They don't persuade. They don't convince The Democrat approach to governance is we got in power saying one thing. Now, too bad. Do what we tell you, even though it's not what we were saying we're going to do beforehand, even though we led you to believe that Joe Biden would respect your Second Amendment. Joe Biden says stuff like that on the campaign. Oh, I respect your Second Amendment. No, he doesn't. Lies. Lies. Not lies about little things. Not lies about who's the best or the smartest or the handsomest. No. That's the stuff they went after Trump for all the time. They lie about the fundamentals of governance and your rights as an American. That's what they lie about. What I said was I would try to work with my friends on the other side. There are things we're working on together, some of which we pass and some we will pass. But the last plan I laid out what was available, what I was suggesting and how I deal with it. And a bipartisan group came to see me. And then the Republican group came to see me and they started off at six hundred billion dollars. And that was it. If they come forward with a plan that did the bulk of it, it was a billion, three or four, two or three. that allowed me to have pieces of all that was in there. I would have I would have been prepared to compromise. But they didn't. They didn't move an inch, not an inch. But, for example, I am dealing with a bipartisan group that came to see me. Now it's about, what, three, four weeks ago when they came about computer chips and about and they said, look, we we have to have our own supply. We have to work together. I'm, we're working on that. Chuck Schumer and and I think McConnell are about to introduce a bill along those lines. So I'm prepared to work. I really am. But to automatically say that the only thing is infrastructure is a highway, a bridge or whatever. That's just not rational. It really isn't. This guy's so dishonest, it's amazing. But he's been doing this for like 50 years, so he's had a lot of practice at being full of bullcrap. Notice he says, oh, they came to me and it was only $600 billion. And I was like, all right, well, you know, basically they got to double that. And if you're not doubling that, you know, we're, we're not, we got nothing to talk about. Oh, I'm sorry. So let's just take him, let's just take him at his word on this for a second. Some Republicans in Congress come forward and say, yeah, you know, maybe there actually is about 600 bil- billion with a B that we could spend on actual infrastructure and we could go along with this. We think it'd be good. And his response is, no, no, you got to double that. What for? For all the things, of course, that have nothing to do with infrastructure. This is how they keep playing the game. They did this with covid relief, too. Republicans do not ever forget this. Republicans in the majority in the last year of the Trump presidency passed five. That's right. Five covid relief bills and Democrats went along with some of them. And then at the end, when they get close to the election. They said, nope. Why? Because they like to use 
the cover of something that makes at least some sense for getting all the other stuff they want. And then they present it as though, oh, Republicans won't meet us. Oh, yeah, they won't meet us halfway. Halfway? No, they're just actually wanting to do things that are within the discussion. Democrats want to pull all this other stuff out there, which is why yesterday Kirsten Gillibrand got so roasted, rightfully so, for child care is infrastructure. Wearing a hat to a party is infrastructure. Eating a grapefruit in the morning with some honey drizzled over it is infrastructure. No, people did not believe that. They thought that was pretty silly, didn't they? We, we all know what the word infrastructure means. But here's Joe Biden's going to try to explain it. You know, I mean, you know, who doesn't? I mean, you got you to gotta build, you know, you got to give a bunch of money to Democrat unions. I mean, that's infra- it's infrastructure. It's infrastructure. Sure it is, buddy. It's the same game they play all the time. Same thing with Obama, even the same rhetorical tricks, because as I've told you, this is basically the Obama administration all over again. That's what we are going through right now. And Obama's talking to Biden regularly. We will find out at some point in the future that Obama and Biden talk pretty much every day. Now, think about this. How many real decisions is good old Amtrak Joe making on any given day? Not really that many. I mean, he does what his handlers tell him to do. He signs what they tell him to sign. So if Obama's weighing in every day and saying, you know, hey, Joe, you know, this is what you got to do. Uh, think of the influence that his decision making would have on this administration. And yet we're to believe that Joe Biden's the guy who can unite us. Remember this rhetorical trick from the Obama years, because you're going to see it endlessly for the next four years or the next couple of years until it becomes President Harris. But the the truth here, and that's because, of course, Joe Biden, I believe I still believe Joe Biden will step down for health reasons, either real or or imagined. I mean, when you're that age, your health reason can be you're just too tired all the time. Uh, but Obama used to do this thing of creating a strong he used to create straw men all the time. And then he, he would create a straw man of the Republicans where if only they would be reasonable, he'll be reasonable, but they're unreasonable. Then you look at what both sides are asking for and the position the Democrats take is, here's what I want. You won't do it. You're unreasonable. Here's my list of full demands. I mean, they act like terrorists where they're in control of the government. Here's the list of demands. You do this or we're just you know we're going to storm the building anyway. Oh, Okay, I I guess that's reaching across to the other side. They're doing this on on infrastructure. They're doing this. They did this with the uh, with the covid relief bill, too. Right. That's why they they just larded all this other stuff into it that had nothing to do with covid relief. They're doing this with gun control. They're doing this on immigration. There's there's no negotiation involves making concessions. It, It involves what do you want? What do they want? And you try to find some space in the middle that's acceptable. The way Democrats negotiate and they're able to do this, one, because they're loons, but two, because they have the mainstream media, corporate media. We don't say mainstream media anymore. Corporate media in their pocket uh, is that they just say, here's what I want. You won't do it. You're unreasonable. They negotiate like five year olds throwing a tantrum and banging and kicking at the floor and screaming. That's how Democrats negotiate. But then when they don't get their way from Republicans, they just say, well, Screw this negotiation. Then the steamroller comes out. Oh, we tried to work with them. 
We, we tried to meet them in the middle. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. So just don't ever forget it. Uh, there's so many, so many fundamental lies that this Biden administration is built on. I don't mean that he's told a fib here or there. Fundamental lies about their approach, their philosophy, and their policy on guns, on infrastructure, on you name it. Every day now, the situation on the border keeps getting worse. Not surprising. Really should have been expected, I think, by anybody paying attention. But you're going to see even greater mendacity here or mendaciousness. You're going to see even bigger lies coming from Democrats about what's what's going on, what their goals are here. And they they can't run away from this one. It's going to be a liability for them unless they can spin this somehow. And the, oh, it's Trump's fault thing is just not going. It's just not going to fly. I mean, it's, it's obviously not Trump's fault that the Biden administration has caused an absolute deluge of illegal immigration crossing into the United States. It's clearly not the Trump administration's fault, but you're, you're going to see a lot of desperation on this topic from people in charge because they realize this this is something that Trump got elected on largely in 2016. The American people are not well represented at all by the corporate media opinions on immigration, on illegal immigration, uh, and certainly not in line with the Democrat Party overall on this, meaning a majority of the American people. So we've got to just continue to speak the truth here. Uh, and it's tougher these days than it has been in a long time because of all the censorship that you deal with on social media. And, you know, if you try to share your political opinions, you know that having a civil conversation is hard. I mean, people jump all over you and they attack you. Well, that's why I want you to check out caucusroom.com. This is a social media network exclusively for conservatives. Caucus Room is an online community for conservatives to gather and engage locally. Only real people who are verified conservatives can become caucus room members, but caucus room will never share your information with anyone ever. The sign up process ensures you're communicating with real conservatives in your neighborhood. No bots or trolls. It's a great way to get engaged on issues where you can make the biggest difference locally at caucus room. You can participate in live virtual meetings that are so secure. The platform played host to over a dozen virtual Republican Party conventions this year. Also share news, jokes and find ways to get involved with causes near you without the fear of Silicon Valley overlords stopping you. Caucus Room is made by conservatives for conservatives to get organized and make a difference. Join the Buck Sexton listeners group on caucusroom.com. That's C-A-U-C-U-S-R-O-O-M.com to interact with other listeners just like you. That's caucusroom, C-A-U-C-U-S, caucusroom.com. And join that Buck Sexton listeners group today. The loss of so many lives comes to the fact that one year ago, the president of the United States called it a hoax, refused to accept the science and refused to engage in any governance uh, that would help prevent the spread of it. Even his own advisors now are saying at least half the people who have died might not have died if there was other. So for them to start blaming it on whoever's coming across the border and asking for a classified briefing is really more subterfuge uh, than science. Oh, yeah, listen to Daddy Pelosi. I have, I have science. I, I read the books, the science books, Nancy. Yeah, she's so grotesque in the lies here. And it's it's appalling that she says stuff like this, that the Trump Trump did nothing to stop the virus. That's what she just said. Didn't do anything to stop it. 
Really? They they went into lockdown. It, let's not let's not forget, friends. And I actually I got a problem with this. I didn't like when Trump did this. There's a reason why when I had an hour alone with the president last May in the Oval, I said, sir, no more lockdowns. And to his credit, he said, I agree with you. No more lockdowns. And he tried to fight against them after that. But in the beginning, Trump went along with this. The unprecedented steps, the Fauciite consensus of masks, lockdowns, all that stuff. Trump was like, look, these are my experts. Everyone's panicked. I I guess this is the move, right? He did what they told him to do. He pushed for what was demanded by them. And now the Democrats are completely rewriting history, completely rewriting history. And, And forgetting about the fact that they're somehow their hero, Fauci. This is his only this is his only job. You had one job, Fauci, and he screwed the whole thing up. But you had one job. Trump had a lot of jobs. He's the president of the United States. Fauci's one job is to know how to handle a pandemic. He comes into office. Trump comes into office. He's supposed to deal with everything and be able to count on advisors. Fauci says he basically mocked the idea. He mocked it of wearing masks in public at the start of the pandemic. Oh, but but he's such a man of science, right? Well, we'll get into the the lockdown religion in a little bit. But Pelosi, you can tell she's agitated here. And a little desperate because she's she's transitioning from crisis at the border, covid spreading like wildfire among those held in these facilities. No social distancing in these facilities, of course, incredibly. And that's that's an understatement. I mean, incredibly cramped conditions, you know, facilities meant for a couple of hundred people have a couple thousand. It's out of control. It's because of Biden and the Democrats that this is happening because they change the incentives in the minds of people south of our border and from all over the world about what will happen if they come into the country. And what is she saying? Notice it goes from border to COVID to Trump. They got to bring it back to Trump right away as if they're still running against him, as if we're still in this campaign where the lies they used to win this election are all that really matters. The problem they have right now is that our southern border is overrun. Our southern border has a crisis that is getting worse with the passing weeks. The numbers are becoming irrefutable, even for the most dedicated Democrat hack in the media. So what do they say? Oh, it is Trump's fault. Pathetic, isn't it? Remember when the Trump economy was so strong? Remember what they said for about 18 months into Trump's presidency? It's the Obama economy. right? They, they just play this game all the time. They hate responsibility for their crappy decisions. They'll do anything to avoid the responsibility and the, the consequences of making bad choices in, in, in power. Oh, my. And then we have... Uh, Another thing that's interesting to folks who are paying attention to this, like me, when is Kamala Harris actually going to go down to the border? She's the border czar. She's got she got a, a plane paid for by the taxpayer. She can use anytime she wants. She could she could make a phone call and be at the border in two hours from, oh, well, I guess three, three hours. I was thinking about California, but she's coming from D.C. She could be at the border in three hours on any given day. No problem. Right. She's the vice president. I mean, come on. How much? security they really need to do to get the vice president of the border give me a break and she hasn't done it yet you say why is that 
How can you be the border czar? I mean, I'm going to, here's the thing. I may get to the border before Kamala, right? I may actually beat her to our southern border, which is pretty funny considering I do not have the resources of the vice president, not, not by a long shot. I'm basically going to be taking a Greyhound bus to get down there. Uh, but here you go. Here's, here's Jen Psaki when she's asked about this. Like, hey, don't you think the border czar should go down there? I mean, aren't there? A, there's a number of reasons so she can see what's happening for, for herself, get the ground truth, speak to people down there, connect to them directly. The, the same reason why presidents, vice presidents, etc., go anywhere, right? It's like, why, why would the president ever go to, say, Afghanistan or Iraq and speak with the troops? It's so you have a better understanding of what's happening. It's very clear why people do this. Kamala feels no, no urgency. Well, ap- apparently not. Play 11. Given what's happening at the border, why hasn't the president, why hasn't the vice president visited yet? Visited the border? I don't have any trips to outline or preview. What our focus is on is solutions and ensuring we have more beds, we're making the processing more efficient and effective and that we are uh, addressing this in a humane way that keeps these kids as safe as we possibly can. Visited the border? Wait, what do you mean like the border? Like how, like the like uh like uh the border? Yes. Yes, Madame Saki. That is what we are all talking about here. Yeah, it's about solutions. Right. What solutions have they come up with? Notice what she says. Enough beds. This is the fundamental issue. And I have I've written about this at BuckSexton.com today. I've really focused in on the incentive. So please go to BuckSexton.com. I've got an I wrote it. All right. I actually write my own editorials. Uh, go, go to BuckSexton.com and, and you'll see I'll, I'll make the case to you there. But they the incentives show you what's really going on. More beds. That just means people will be more comfortable when they keep crossing into the country illegally. They have to stop the illegal crossing from happening. That's the problem. They have to discourage people from coming here, right? They can't, they can't keep... What they have going on right now is it's like they have a bake sale and they're giving out cookies to anybody who walks by, courtesy of the American taxpayer, of course. They got a bake sale. They're giving out cookies to anybody. And, and they keep saying, oh, gosh, hey, guys, I'm just giving out free cookies, but may- maybe, I don't know, maybe you should you know, watch your weight and stop taking my cookies. But, oh, there's another batch, nice and warm, out of the oven. We're giving out cookies, but hey, hey, don't eat too many cookies. Guess what's happening? More and more people are showing up and chomping down on the cookies, so to speak. You've got to stop handing out treats. The treats here are status in the United States, entry in the United States, let let free into the American interior to never show up again for a hearing. They are skipping the immigration line entirely. That's what's happening. OK, this is why the cartels are making so much money on this. This is why there are so many people who are showing up. The word is out. We all know what Trump did was change the incentive structure so that they wouldn't get the benefit of illegal crossing anymore. Democrats refuse to do that. Because they think it looks mean and because also ultimately they're playing a double game here. They're like, oh, no, we got a crisis at the border, but we actually want all these illegal immigrants to come into the country. Oh, no, no, it's a crisis because the facilities are overwhelmed while we're processing people. So we just need to actually process them more quickly. We don't want and this is what I'm trying to trying to explain. We don't want the same things. 
when we talk about the border, we don't want border security on both, meaning Republicans and Democrats. They don't want border security. They want to have an orderly, well-processed, efficient. They want an efficient open border. That's what they're trying to achieve. One that doesn't have these visuals of overcrowded facilities and people spreading COVID and all the rest of it. And, you know, Nancy Pelosi, of course, she's just the most disgraceful and shameless fraud imaginable, right? I mean, Nancy Pelosi is, first of all, she's she's another person too old for the job. Go do something else, Nancy. This is absurd, right? They spend so much time trying to make it, make sure everyone doesn't realize, you know, Nancy's like 80 years old now, all right? It's, it's time, it's time to go do something else, you know? Spend, and I mean this, I mean this in a kind way. Spend time with the grandkids. Spend time with the family. We, we don't need Nancy Pelosi doing this anymore. There's Republicans and Democrats who, it's time to give this up, folks. There's something about the, there's something about these, these, political boomers that they never want to say enough is enough. They never want to let their their hands off the levers of power. It's a little creepy. It's a little weird. It's true in media and it's true in politics. The people in media, are, oh, you know, I mean, you had, uh, you know, Larry King, you know, rest in peace. Larry, Larry King, this is a guy who was still lobbying for his own show at CNN as of a few years, as of a couple of years ago. It's like, dude. You had your run enough. And the same thing with Nancy Pelosi. And same thing with so many people who want to want to talk about determining the future. And they really don't have much of a stake in the future. They should think about other things now. Think about their relationship with God and their family. But we we're in this bizarro world where I mean, you're, you're going to start getting to the point where you have very powerful elected officials who are in their 90s or in their 90s who've been doing this for 40, 50 years. And everyone's going to say, uh, <laughs> is this? But as long as they understand the mechanisms of power and they give the Democrat status what they want, you know, it sort of continues on. But if you really want to know how much the Democrats are in favor of illegal immigration, I could just point you to what just happened here in New York State, where there is now a the, the state legislature has has passed giving $15,600 to illegal immigrants in New York. That's right. They're going to get a check for $15,600. That's the maximum, but that's what most of them will end up getting. Essentially, the state is going to give them what the federal government gave them or gave to people um, for pandemic relief. So now the state's going to say, okay, well, we're actually going to pay illegal immigrants to be here now. That's right. I have to pay taxes to the state or the state will come after me with force. Now they're deciding that the state of New York is deciding that's substantial money. How, how many of you, if you got a, if you got told that you're about to get a check for 15 grand would say, wow, really? That's great. It'd be a really good day. Hey, it'd be a good day for me. 15 grand is a lot of money. Um, and this is now what's happening at a time when businesses are shuttered in many cases forever. Um, people are behind on their mortgages, behind on their rent, deep into debt, credit card debt, have been struggling and struggling to pay their bills, have been living with this madness of lockdowns. And sure enough, Democrats, at least in New York, are focused on making sure that tax, do- tax dollars go to illegal immigrants in direct payment form, including illegal immigrants with recent criminal convictions. Mm hmm. That is the country you are living in now. That uh, 
that should that should get a whole lot more attention. But I have a feeling the the corporate media is going to try to downplay this one a little bit. Oh, no, it's not that many people. That's a few hundred thousand people in New York that are qualifying for this. And it's billions of dollars. That's right. Billions of dollars going to go to these payments for people who are here in violation of federal law. So just remember that as you're trying to figure out your taxes. The government pretends to know what you owe, but won't tell you what you owe. And if you get it wrong, they punish you. Uh, Remember that federal law doesn't really apply to illegal immigrants because they're so important for the power structure of the Democrat Party. Peter, the assembly is uh, looking at testing the issue, and I don't want to get ahead of them. Uh, but I was not involved in uh, in the testing program to that intimate that intimate level. Uh, people who I would meet with, uh, and I would be in exposure with, I was aware they were being tested. So if you came to see me in my office, uh, you would be tested. Uh, and that applied with my family also. But the assembly's doing a review on that, and uh, I would let them do it. Notice how he just slipped in at the end there. Governor Cuomo just slipped in at the end. You know, yeah, my family was included in that. See, what they do here, it, it's, it's the creation of plausible de- deniability. Here's what really happened. The governor created some pretext for people in his family and around him and that he wanted to, like his brother, Chris Cuomo at CNN, to get... Uh, testing at a time when everybody was really freaked out about COVID. It was really hard to get testing. He played favorites, of course. You, you, you Wait, l- let's think about the alternative. You think that this guy, this thuggish moron, Cuomo, only there because daddy was governor before him, you, you think that, that he would shy away from using his power to help the people that are closest to him? You, you think that he would shy away from ordering... Remember, this is at the time this was thought of as as a life and death issue, possibly. So you think this guy's going to play it straight or you think that he's going to make sure that whoever he wants to get a test gets a test, even if it means people that should have been focused on testing for everybody else, focused on pandemic policy for everyone else in New York State, had a public official distracted for a few hours on a critical day of the uh, early fight against this pandemic, right? Yeah. This guy, I still believe, I have, I have a bet going with my friend Joe Borelli, who's on the New York City Council for Staten Island. Uh, if, if I'm right, he's got to take me to the best Italian restaurant in Staten Island. If he's right, I got to take him to the best steakhouse in Manhattan. I think that Cuomo's going to stay. I don't think this guy's going to get ousted from his job, period. And uh, I'm very confident in that bet. Um, so now now I'm on. The, I was on the record before telling you, I think that he'll withstand this. But what a turnabout it's been. Think about where we are now from where we were a year ago. Cuomo giving his press conferences, getting his Emmy, getting his seven figure book deal and all this stuff. The guy's a fraud. He's doing a he's doing a horrible job. Every day he was talking ventilators. We need more ventilators. Where are all the ventilators? I need a million ventilators. It turns out you actually don't because putting people on ventilators for covid is a really bad idea. It is an absolute last resort. And in fact, I'm wondering when they're going to be more honest about this. I've spoken to I've spoken to some doctors who know about this. Some doctors were so scared, so so covid panicked and, and nurses, too, that they think that they may have put them on ventilators far too quickly just because they didn't really want to deal with the sick patient as much. 
that has been talked about, which needs to be looked at as well. So Cuomo is a disaster, though. Forget Mars. We need to search for intelligent life in Major League Baseball commissioner's office. Uh, I, I've never seen anything like this. Y you know, uh, Commissioner Manfred has a fiduciary responsibility to Major League Baseball. His job is to do the very best that he can not to suck. <laughs> and he has failed that. I, I mean, think what he's done. Major League Baseball is, is losing popularity to uh, football and other sports. His job is to grow it. So what's the first thing he does? He decides to get involved in national politics and to alienate hundreds of millions of Americans uh, who actually like the Georgia bill and think that it is an honest effort for, for uh, uh, election security. I understand the mentality of these woke ultra elites because they're all around me here in Manhattan and New York City. I, I can tell you the people this this is important for for everyone out there because you look at this and everything that Senator Kennedy says, there, I think, is is true. He's, he's saying that you know, Major League Baseball has been losing viewership and Major League Baseball is in trouble. And shouldn't you just be running a business? This always comes up. We say, well, why get involved in this stuff? It just it just is risk. You have to remember that if you're the Major League Baseball commissioner, you're you're making millions, perhaps even tens of millions of dollars. I know the NFL commissioner, for example, makes something like thirty million dollars a year for a job that, you know, think about you, you could find 10,000 people that could do that job. Right. It's not hard. Um, you could find a lot of people within the NFL who would very gladly, I'm sure, take that job and be very competent at it. So you're in a very lucky position. But these these legacy institutions are now overtaken by people who are egomaniacs and they all they have to do is prevent the entire iceberg from melting. Right. And, and they will be very rich and they'll be fine. So they can screw things up a lot and. It doesn't really have any negative effect on them. And yeah, they may lose their job at some point. They may be ousted at some point. But like I've told you, all they have to do is keep the board happy. And if they keep the board happy, then they're good. And so it really is like a social club at the top. This is true of, of a pub, public companies, for example. It's a social club at the top. And yeah, maybe they're, they're, the company's not being run that well, but the board members are all getting their, their payments you know, they it's a great, great job. You get every quarter a, a big check for these companies. And maybe you do like a virtual meeting once a quarter and that's it. And you get paid all this money. And this is one of the ways I should note that connected Democrat politicians and people who are part of the elite liberal elite lib establishment, they're not liberal at all. You know, that's all a big lie. And it's very frustrating to me. We, we haven't done a good enough job on the right. Uh, conservatives haven't done a good enough job molding the language of our political discussions. I mean, the fact that we have gone now so many decades calling the leftist authoritarian collectivists and any of those words alone, I think, are good authoritarians, collectivists, leftists. The fact that we've gone this many decades improperly referring to the left as liberals and also not their color, as I've said to you before. Remember, it all came down to corporate media decisions back when they were covering elections in the 70s. They're the reds. But somehow 
Democrats who are authoritarian collectivists are blue and are liberal. That is absolutely there. They have no interest in liberty and their color should be red because they're Marxists. Because they are. We all see it. Now, there are different kinds of Marxists. There are different degrees of people that believe in Marxist philosophy. They're really identity politics Marxists now. Instead of obsession with class struggle, they're obsessed with race struggle. But you still see this, uh, the, these connections, and we speak about them in ways that I think makes we, we, the language we use to talk about these things makes it all much more difficult. And I know that's a bit of a, of a digression, but I think it's so important. You know, we somehow even for a lot of people just saying the right, the right has this has this connotation for uh, for corporate media. The right has this connotation where, ooh, you know, you say, well, hold on a second. That just means right of center. Why is that? Um, and, you know, conservatives, I'm not even sure that's a great term for us. I know we'd say, oh, it's because we're trying to conserve the Constitution and, and the, the truths, the, the universal and timeless truths of our society. But if we're being honest, we're not doing a very good job of conserving a whole lot these days. You know, I, I wish we would. You know, how would I describe conservatism now? It's realism. It's seeing things for what they are. It's understanding what history has been and trying to make the best decisions based upon a set of agreed upon principles. The end. Now, this idea that we're, we're conserving so much. I know that that's the, the goal, but oh, really? I feel like we're conserving these days. We can't, can't even conserve gender separation now as a matter, as a matter of, of how it's applied in law. But we're told, oh, yeah, we're doing, we're doing a great job. And I, I get frustrated with it sometimes. I'll be honest with you. I get frustrated with it. Uh, but anyway, back to Major League Baseball and what goes on with these companies, these corporations. Uh, the people that are making these decisions, they're making them a lot of times with their own immediate interests in mind. You know, think about it. You're, you're the commissioner of Major League Baseball. You're a millionaire. You know, you've got one of the cushiest jobs imaginable. And you, you're never going to have to work another day in your life. And you're good to go. Do you want the elite establishment to like you? Or do you really care that baseball over the over the next 10 years is going to continue to lose audience and is now a political weapon? A lot of people are going to choose, you know, door number one. A lot of people in that role are going to say what matters to me is as long as I get my bonus this year, or next year, as long as I finish out my contract, I'm rich. I'm connected. I want to be one of those people. I don't want to be somebody that's called a racist. I don't want to be somebody that's uh, viewed as not standing up against Jim Crow 2.0. So, of course, these places are run poorly. Of course, they're making these that the people in charge are making these decisions. We have this idea that the person running a company is somehow like the founder of it, who with their blood, sweat and tears, they pull this all together. They understand the industry. They love it. No. A lot of times it's just another corporate hack bureaucrat that gets brought in from some other company who knows the right people. They get plopped atop this thing and they're making decisions. You know, not not everyone running, you know, Uber and and, uh, you know, Amazon and Apple. And you, know, you go down the list of all these major companies, United Airlines and Delta Airlines and Coca-Cola. They're not all genius founders. I mean, a few of them are the founders, maybe, but they're not all genius founders. Not all the people that built these companies from the ground up with their own hands. They're just someone who's brought in to kind of run the machine that's already been built. 
and they're running the machine for their own benefit a lot of the time. They know they're, they're going to be there for a, a temporary uh, period anyway, so why not get the most out of it? You see what I'm saying? Th- that's why just thinking about what this means for baseball or what does this mean for professional sports? People make these decisions. They don't care. Not really. They're doing what's best for them right now. And, and that's why I think this is uh, this is getting this is just actually going to get worse. I don't believe it's going to get better. And, and then people keep pointing this out about about China and the hypocrisy. Play 10. Yesterday about the U.S. policy with regard to the Beijing Olympics next year. Uh, is it the U.S. policy now that American athletes will participate in those Olympics? And is the U.S. government going to encourage American spectators to travel to China to, to view those games? Well, these are the Winter Olympics of next winter, I should say. So some time away as it relates to the second part of your question. And certainly our hope is that we are at a point where enough people across the country and hopefully around the world have been vaccinated. But we will rely on health and medical experts on that particular piece. Our position on the 2022 Olympics has not changed. We have not discussed and are not discussing any joint boycott with allies and partners. We, of course, consult closely with allies and partners at all levels uh, to define our common concerns and establish a shared approach. But there's no discussion underway of a change in our plans regarding the Beijing Olympics from the United States point of view. You always know Saki's about to give you a crappy answer when she starts sounding like some weird, weird uh, robot, you know. We do not know what we're going to do, but we will. You know, you know that Saki's under pressure when that happens. Yeah, it's so important for companies to be woke, but not, I mean, at the expense of their bottom lines when it comes to access to the Chinese market. I mean, come on. And the Biden administration, they're not going to pick any fights with China. Far too many people that have tremendous influence at the very top of the Biden administration make a lot of money from the access to the Chinese market. And they don't feel virtuous bashing China because China's not a white male majority Republican Party controlled place, right? So China's not the enemy. Republicans are. Well, to listen to the president speaking right there is impossible to square his argument. One week ago, he was calling for the All-Star Game to be moved out of Atlanta, and then shortly thereafter, it was. Now he's expressing concern about the idea of moving the Masters because of the impact it might have on working people in and around the Masters. So in other words, there wasn't a lot of concern for the $100 million that experts say will be lost because the All-Star Game leaves Atlanta. But now, all of a sudden, it feels like after a week of criticism, some people are catching up and saying, ooh, this actually hurts a bunch of the people that we're trying to protect in this country right now. It's also the position that everyone has put themselves in. We knew immediately, wherever the All-Star game was moved, everyone would look clearly at the voting law there and say, well, wait a minute, there are pieces of the voting law in Colorado that are worse than the one in Georgia. So this is a game that probably the White House and maybe Major League Baseball on some levels wishes it hadn't played at this point. But here we are. Willie Geist better be careful here because what he's saying is true. It makes sense. And Democrats hate that. Okay, you better. I don't know, man, if I'm him, I'm at MSNBC. I'd I'd watch out. You might have, you know, poofy haired lunatic Joe Scarborough screaming about those vaccine denying idiot Republicans. Yeah. Who's really actually the most vaccine hesitant again, Joe? Is it? Is it MAGA hat? Is it MAGA hat wearing Republicans or are there other people who are vaccine hesitant? And and I don't think Joe Scarborough is going to call them a bunch of morons anytime soon, is he? Hmm. But anyway, Willie Geist, what do I always tell you? Credit where it is due. Willie Geist 
is 100% correct here, okay? The Biden, this whole Biden shuffle, this whole Biden dance that's going on here makes no sense whatsoever. He is unprincipled. He is a clown. It, it is the, this whole thing. They've gotten caught up in their woke lunacy, and this is what ends up happening. That's right. He said, move the Major League Baseball game because that seemed like it was where. See, this is classic Biden. You understand? He's always just done whatever's popular in the Democrat Party. That's his move. What will be popular within the Democrat Party? That's what Joe Biden will do. He doesn't stand for anything. This guy doesn't have any beliefs. I mean, I don't want to keep harping on this, but it is important. This guy talks about being a devout Roman Catholic. He is a public figure who protects abortion for all nine months of a pregnancy. I mean, really? But but he's a devout Catholic? He he should be excommunicated, really. But anyway, uh, so should Nancy Pelosi, by the way. But but here you have you you have the arguments being made by Biden about Augusta and the Masters Masters golf tournament in, in the state of Georgia. Obviously, you can't think what he thinks about that and not then see that there's a problem here with what he said about Major League Baseball. But why did he take those positions about Major League Baseball? Why was he doing that? Oh, that's right. Because at the time it was popular. He didn't think this through. It was what's going to what's going to allow him to, you know, hey, sort of do one of these things, you know, where my America's grandpa, Amtrak Joe, you know, here I am. No, no joke. I mean, you know, I'm your president. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? Oh, here, here he is. Here, here's Blue. Here's uh, here's good old uh, Amtrak Joe. Play nine. It will significantly ramp up IRS enforcement against corporations and the super wealthy who either fail to report their income or underreported. Estimated that would raise tens of billions of dollars. It adds up to more than what I proposed in just 15 years. It's honest. It's fair. It's fiscally responsible. And it pays for what we need. And reduce the debt over the long haul. And by the way, I didn't hear any of our friends who were criticizing this plan say that the corporate tax cut, which added two trillion dollars of the debt, the Trump tax cut, two trillion, one point nine trillion dollars in debt, wasn't paid for. The vast majority of which went to the top one percent of the wage earners. I didn't hear anybody hollering in this recovery, the so-called before I became president, this K-shaped recovery. Where billionaires made three hundred billion more dollars during this period. Where's the outrage there? I'm not trying to punish anybody, but damn it, maybe it's because I come from middle class neighborhood. I'm sick and tired of ordinary people being fleeced. Yeah, I'm sick and tired of ordinary people being fleeced. Sure, you know, I live in like a three million dollar mansion in Delaware, a twenty thousand dollar month rental in. McLean, Virginia, when I'm serving in the Senate, now I live in the White House, but, you know, I'm really rich. I made like $15 million giving speeches. But I care about the little guy. I care about the little guy. Sure he does. It's really ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, you hear him saying all this stuff, and you, we, we wonder who, who actually believes this buffoon, this clown. Who thinks that this guy is in any way impressive? Why would anyone think that he should be president? It's a remarkable thing in and of itself that he is 
the president of the United States. I mean, you, you can't help but sit there and say to yourself, what the heck has happened to this country? But let's let's get into the substance here for a moment. What he says, first of all, I, I absolutely despise when Democrats say a tax cut wasn't paid for. What does that 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 doesn't mean anything? Taxes aren't a tax cut is not a purchase. A tax cut is not an expenditure. A tax cut is people getting to keep more of their money. But notice he acts like it's really, you know, it's almost like the government pays you a salary and whatever you get to keep is the salary the government decides you get to have. That's really the mentality that that they they come at this with. You know, because when they give you a tax cut, you know, that's a that's that's a big unpaid for thing. What do you mean paid for? We pay the government with tax. They, they don't pay us. They're taking a piece of our pie. We're not getting a piece of their pie. They've got this all backwards. Or do they? This is where the Marxists, this is where the authoritarian collectivists start to really show up. You see what they're all about. And everybody should be concerned about this. This is a radical left-wing administration. The only thing holding them back is what they can and can't get away with and what their own majority of voters would allow at this point. But this is they're radical. Make no mistake about it. You know, they can't do everything they want to do. There are still some institutional checks on them, like the filibuster for example, which they're still just wait when that gets in the way a little too much, they're going to turn the heat up even more. They're going to try to try to get the pressure going there. So the filibuster won't actually be, it won't exist anymore because they think, and, and here's really the fundamental calculation the Democrats are making in all this, they believe that they can change the country so much with the elimination of the filibuster that they can engage in such fundamentally transformational legislation that it's worth it to get rid of the filibuster, it's worth it to change the rules of the game because they will have changed the game forever. That's what this administration the Obama administration 3.0, also known as you know Harris Biden, uh, that's what they're trying to accomplish. One thing you can always count on is that is that the government just does not know what to do with money uh, of the American people for the future in industry and in in actual private sector applications. You know, the, the government is is not a good venture capitalist. Is a simple way of putting this, and that's why I, I get so concerned. Whenever I see this, I hear constantly hearing it these days about how we're making investments in our future. What they mean by that is they're obligating future generations to pay off debts that they're running up now because it increases their political power and because their ideologues, it appeals to them and they want to do things. But they, they act like, oh, you know, they're just planting the seed that's going to grow into some big, beautiful tree. Uh, when the government plants seeds, we're lucky if it sprouts up into a weed. Remember Solyndra under the Obama administration? Hundreds of millions of dollars of uh, taxpayer-backed uh, loan guarantees just up in smoke because they had a, a solar energy company that was selling units at a loss. So they were selling solar energy panels for less than a cost to make them. And that was a business the federal government's like, yeah, I want a piece of that. The Obama administration's like, give me some of that. Sure. And, you know, because of the dominance of Silicon Valley, it's very hard, uh, by, by liberals, it's very hard to get the truth out about all of this. 
Right? They're ideologically uh, aligned with this, too. And that's why I really want you to start to think about how you're going to fight back against this and not just politically, but also with your day to day activities. Why are we choosing to give big tech companies all of our personal data? Now's the time to take a stance against that. Protect your personal data from big tech with the VPN I trust for my online protection. That's Express VPN. OK, this is the VPN you need to go with. I mean, you ever wondered why access to sites like Facebook and, and Google, it's, it's free? Well, because they track your activities online. They track your video history, everything you click on. But with ExpressVPN, you have anonymized IP addresses. And that means you actually have some privacy. And ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and Internet bad actors. It's finally time to say no to big tech censorship. Take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com slash buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. That's expressvpn.com slash buck, expressvpn.com slash buck to protect your data today. When we do invest in research, what we're really doing is raising the bar on what we can imagine. Imagine a world where you and your family can travel coast to coast without a single tank of gas or in a high-speed train close to as fast as you can go across the country in a plane. Imagine your children growing up to work in innovation, good-paying jobs and fields that haven't even been invented yet, like the parents of every computer programmer, every graphic designer, every renewable energy worker once did, imagined. We invest today so that these jobs will be here in America tomorrow. So America can lead the world that is, as is historically done. That's why I brought back scientists into the White House. We need to think. Look, do we think the rest of the world is waiting around? What is this befuddled old man blabbering about now? Imagine, you know, the industries aren't even very. Yeah, guess what? There will be industries that pop up in the future that we can't think of now that people's children or grandchildren will be working in. And guess what? We don't know what they are. And and you know who definitely doesn't know what they are? The Biden administration, this White House and the bureaucrats they've put in charge of federal agencies and, and the members of the Democrat Congress who want to spend all this money on it. I, I assure you, they definitely don't know what the industries and jobs of the future are you realize that this whole green energy thing you know it, it it's there's what actually happens in the real world with green energy i mean you see companies like tesla for example tesla wh- why does tesla work why is it such a high stock valuation because the guy in charge elon musk is a visionary people think of him like a steve jobs like figure and he's done incredible stuff and tesla is a cool product people really like them you don't buy a Tesla the same way people used to buy a Prius. He's like, I want to show off like that. I, you know, I mean, the Prius is honestly the ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. I mean, I, I, I've always thought that it wasn't even because of the uh, you know electric uh, hybrid thing. It's just the ugliest car design I've ever seen. But people really liked it. You know why? Because everyone knew it was a Prius and it was a virtue signaling instrument. In fact, this is true. If you go back to I think it was the Chevy Volt was their first electric car or one of their, their early electric cars. And it didn't sell very well at all. And when they did analysis, and this is going back now over a decade, but when they did analysis of it, what they found 
was that the reason people wanted to buy a Prius wasn't because they liked it better as a car. They were buying a Prius because they were driving around in a, you know, uh, basically a, a mobile sign that says, I believe in climate change, you know, green energy virtue signaling. So that's why all these coastal libs were buying the Prius, which is the ugliest car I've ever seen in my life. But they didn't want to buy the the Chevy Leaf or whatever it was called, the Volt, the Leaf, I forget, oh, the, the Volt, I think, not the Leaf, I forget, whatever. The first electric car from uh, from General Motors, and they didn't want to buy it because it looked like a normal car. So people didn't know. So it was better to drive an ugly ass car because it showed everybody how green energy conscious you were, how what an environmentalist you were. Right. That's the mentality. Tesla is different because Tesla's making really cool looking cars that go very that actually have really fast acceleration and. You know, people, they're a good product. So this is the difference, you know, between, first of all, you know, putting aside everything else, the, the government has been telling everybody, oh, we've got to go solar. We've got to do these things. They've been do, they've been talking about this for over 30 years, folks. The libs, the environmentalists, you know, the Sierra Club types or whatever, they've all been talking, oh, we've got to save the whales and save the, th-. by the way, I'm all for conservation and I'm for a clean environment. I'm actually an environmentalist. I know people would think that that's crazy. No, I, I, I totally believe that we should have uh, clean drinking water and that we should. I, but see, I think that environmentalism starts at home and starts with the individual. I think things like keeping trash off the streets, for example, is a very important part of being an environmentalist. I think keeping your own environment clean, which, you know, there are all, all these libs. You go in all these blue cities of trash all over the streets. You go to different cultures all over the world that we're told they're in harmony with nature. There's garbage everywhere. It's not true that they're in harmony with nature or something because they use less fossil fuels. There are plastic bags everywhere. Most of the plastic in the oceans, you know where it comes from? Asia. But never really hear very much about that, do you? Yeah. Um, I'm also an environmentalist, so I believe in nuclear power. I believe in nuclear energy, which anyone who actually reads up and understands nuclear power and, and the decades of its successful use in European countries like France, for example, uh, we should be far, uh, m- much further along with nuclear energy than we are. But we aren't because the environmentalists freaked people out and said there'd be meltdowns and they created this whole propaganda of what do we do with all the nuclear energy and all the fuel and all this stuff. And that was an enormously consequential decision. Right. Because it was the political pushing the science out because the science tells you that nuclear is good. But but I'm trying to get back to my initial point here. Do you really think that Joe Biden knows a damn thing about energy or the the future of the American economy or industries that aren't? I mean, these people don't know how to run a small business. I'm talking about Biden and the, you know people like Pete Buttigieg and the folks who are out there. But yet they think that if they just have a blank check effectively or whatever it is, a couple trillion dollars, they're going to do such a great job. We're going to we're going to be able to say, oh, yeah, sure. It's all fine. They they've invested in our future. I mean, here's Biden talking about all all this stuff as if we're supposed to listen to him. Place six. There's hundreds of flints all across America. How many of you know when you send your child to school, the fountain they're drinking out of? Is not fed by a lead pipe. How many of you know the school your child is in still has asbestos in the walls and lacks the ventilation? 
Is that it? Not infrastructure? Line workers and electricians laying transmission lines for a modern grid, providing over 500,000 charging stations on the highways we are going to build to accommodate electric vehicles so we can own the future. Construction workers and engineers building modern hospital, modern hospitals and homes for American families. Healthcare workers, steel workers, folks who work in the cutting edge labs. Nearly 90% of the infrastructure jobs created by our American Jobs Plan can be filled by people who don't have a college degree. 75% don't need an associate's degree. As I said last week, this is a blue-collar blueprint for increasing opportunity for the American people. Uh, 500,000 charging stations? So we can own the future? R- really? What that's does he know where the electricity for those charging stations where where that comes from? I'm just wondering. Do they ever think about this? Doesn't come from, doesn't come from windmills. Doesn't come from uh, from from solar. I mean, it can, but very small percentage of it overall. A lot of it comes from coal. It could come from nuclear, as I said, but no, the environmentalist left wackos. You know, they were running around singing, singing songs about, you know, the environment getting dirty and everything. And everyone's, oh, OK. So in the 70s, they started saying we we can't have nuclear power plants anymore. Why? The terrible idea. But they got their way because it was emotional for them. You see, they made it an emotional issue. But Biden talking about how we're going to get all these charging stations and all the stuff you're sitting here saying. This is all happening in a sense now. Not to the degree, obviously, that the the Democrat status wanted to, but this these things he's talking. About, we need to have you know change the pipes, and we need to have a charging station. We have a we live in the richest country in the world. We live in a country with with the highest you know, the highest GDP. We have an incredibly high standard of living, uh, given the size of this country and 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 all the different you know regions and areas of this country. And the, the, what's amazing is that instead of letting the private sector do what it does, the people in charge now really think that the public sector is smarter than the private sector. The public sector is what drives the American economy. The bureaucrats who don't have any real metrics to meet other than mass mass appeal through an election process, uh, they understand better how to create the industries and jobs of the future. I mean, this is a delusion, but the Democrats are, are deeply invested in this. They, they really think that this is going to make things so much, uh, so much better. And you're going to see quite a fight over this because why, why is it that the Democrats now are going to pass an infrastructure bill? I, I'm going to tell you, they're not going to get a single Republican vote for this. And they're not going to care. They're just going to do it. They're acting like they have some huge mandate from this election, which was actually a very narrow election win. And are there areas of infrastructure where they could actually get some bipartisan buy-in? Yeah, I, I think there are. But are they pushing those areas? No, they are not. They are absolutely not. They're using the overall... This is why they're saying infrastructure is, you know, everything. Infrastructure is... Is trans rights infrastructure is is uh, health care infrastructure is child care infrastructure is wokeness infra- no no infrastructure is infrastructure 
They got to stop saying this stuff. But here you have um, uh, Pete Buttigieg talking about this bill. He's the this guy's the secretary of the Department of Transportation, which is pretty amazing. From from mayor of South Bend, Indiana, to cabinet secretary in charge of transportation, based on what that this guy's ridden the Acela a few times, I guess. Play thirteen. My question there is, okay, how would you pay for them? Uh, What do you think is the right way to pay for these things? Because you can't get something for nothing, and we've got to get it done. And remember, there's a lot of evidence that the American people support this plan even more when they hear how the president proposes to pay for it, because we're talking about corporate tax reform, where so many corporations, as as you uh, showed earlier this hour, are paying zero. And by the way, uh, we're talking about a level, 28%. Talk about a level that's lower than corporate taxes have been for most of my lifetime. Well, that's because America, which he leaves out of this, of course, has had unusually high corporate tax rates compared to many other uh, developed countries in the world, which has led to increased offshoring and loss of jobs and loss of American corporations here at home. But he doesn't bring that up, does he? No, no, of course not. Just just hope that they can get away with with, uh, you know, leveraging the ignorance of the population about what's really going on with this stuff. Um, the American people are going to pay. They're going to pay for this by taxing rich people. Does anybody or taxing corporations, taxing rich people? Anyone really believe that? And this, they so much of Democrat Party propaganda relies on the old no such thing as a free lunch unless you're a Democrat then there's always somebody else that will pay for your lunch. We promise. Just vote for us. There's always a free lunch if you vote Democrat. Don't worry. You won't pay for it. Somebody else will. Right? This takes you back to Bastiat, the law, the, the ultimate swindle in society that is pulled off by the, by the statists, right, is the idea that you can live at the expense of every other person. Right. That you will live at the expense of every other person. They will be the ones who pay for the things. You will be the one who gets the things. This is the ultimate swindle in in a uh, in a democracy. And it's it's called plunder. That's what Bastiat refers refers uh, to it as plunder. Right. This this false idol, this false promise of you won't be the one that suffers. Other people will, will suffer. Just put me in power and I'll give you the things from the other people. And then eventually people start to figure out, well, what about when the other is me? I don't think it's going to be a precise number. I don't know what that number is. I, I can't say it's going to be this percent, but we'll know it when we see it. It'll be obvious as the numbers come down rather dramatically. And when they do, we're going to wind up getting really stepwise much, much more towards what we consider approaching a degree of normality, which everyone really quite dramatically notices it. It's on the way. Hang in there. What is that? What is this? What is this idiot saying? I, I know that Fauci is my Toby Flenderson or whatever from the office. You know, I'm Michael Scott and Fauci is Toby. And every time this guy's name, I, I just fl- I flip out like I I can't handle this anymore. And because I'm I'm not going to stop until people who have held this guy up as a hero feel the shame of that stupid decision. Fauci is a jackass, an absolute jackass. What's he saying here? He doesn't know what the number is. He better know what the number is, because 
all the Democrat politicians and all the all the brainwashed sheep in America wearing their five masks and oh, I'm distancing and everything else. They're looking at him to be the one that tells us. How does he not know what the number is? Because he can, he doesn't want to make promises knowing that he may have to keep them. And that ends the great Fauci mediator that ends the, his ability to basically determine what stays open in society, what actually continues to function in America, what doesn't. And everyone looks up at him like some kind of god of medicine. It all goes away. He doesn't want that to happen. Are you kidding me? Could you imagine being a person who got to say what, what 330, how, got to make proclamations that affected 330 million people's lives and people treated you like a hero for it? And like you were saving them. I mean, not everyone, obviously. I'm sitting here trashing the fool because he deserves it. But could you imagine being in that? First of all, who wants that kind of authority? I mean, the false humility from this guy has been appalling all along. He's been wrong on everything. I mean, it's it's really, there's nothing impressive about this clown. And he is the little health policy Stalinist of America in 2021. There's this cult around him that people worship and they think that he... And if you challenge him, you, you know that, that they just pulled off of YouTube. Uh, they pulled a Ron DeSantis speech off of YouTube where he's he's criticizing other states' lockdowns. So now you can't, as somebody who is executed on policy and shown a better way to handle this virus than other states, based on the data, based on the numbers, you can't say, do it my way. That is anti-science what they're doing. And YouTube is, of course, a part of it. Uh, big, big tech. Big tech should never be trusted again after this by anybody. Big tech has been awful on this. Absolutely awful. And they've been a huge part of creating the cult of Fauci. And I will neither forgive nor forget this transgression. You hear that, Fauci? The Bucksters, the Bucksters never going to forgive it or forget it. Back by popular demand, joining us now, the one and only Ann Coulter, 13-time New York Times best-selling author. Go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest column. And great to have you. Tell us about what you're seeing in this Chauvin trial and the media coverage of it. No, it's really stunning. I don't think I've, I've seen anything like this. Um, I will give um, all of your listeners a tip headline news which is my favorite network for forensic files um, they're actually doing a, a fantastic job but they have an equal number of defense attorneys prosecution ex, ex prosecutors that sort of thing and one thing that really stands out is they're apparently watching the trial setting them apart from for example jake tapper and his commentators uh because if you if you do watch the trial and i have been watching it mostly um, it's hard to do during the day because sometimes you know I have to run errands. Um, but headline news reruns it at night, and C-SPAN two reruns it at night. And it's really been stunning how this is the prosecution putting on its case, and yet every day, every witness ends up. I mean, the only actual facts, other than the weeping, um, as I say in the column, Chauvin um, is not being. He's not being charged with first-degree upsetting bystanders. That's not a crime. They're charging him with murder, um, perhaps unintentional, uh, you know, negligence, however they want to phrase it, but that's what they're charging him with. Um, and, and the actual facts that keep coming out 
are are helping the defense more and more. Yesterday was a blockbuster, um, which I got to um, in the second half of my column. It was like a joke how every use of force witness, these are Minneapolis police's experts in, in use of force by the police. Prosecution would put these people on, um, in particular um, one one man, one woman, um, and ask them very, very, very limited questions. The prosecution would, um, as if as if there are no other facts known about the case. Then the defense would come in and say, um, well, what if there's a hostile crowd around? What if people are yelling at you? What if the suspect has just fought a cop? How about if the suspect has, has fought, fought several cops? And every time the, the prosecution witnesses would say, oh, yeah, I've done that. Yeah, you can hold somebody. No, you can't. You shouldn't start chest compressions um, when there are people standing nearby yelling at you, which we know and has been introduced into testimony because that's what the bystander witnesses last week, apart from their their wailing and crying, um, the defense did get them to admit that they were screaming curses at the cops and the crowd was getting larger and larger. So you have the hostility of the crowd um, today was an interesting, at least I'm, I, I will probably watch the full replay later tonight, um, but the defense got one of the prosecution's witnesses to admit, played a tape, and, and um, I only heard it once, uh, the, the tape, and yeah, I could sort of see what he was talking about, I'd like to hear it some more, um, with, with George Floyd saying when he's on the ground, I ate too many drugs. Um, and that does seem to be what he's what he's saying, at least on the one time I heard him. Um, a weird thing happened. The prosecution then goes to redirect, asks its own witness, plays more of the tape. Um, and this time the prosecution's witness says, no, no, I think it's I ain't on no drugs. So I will I will I will tell the listeners, turn on headline news. They'll probably be playing it over and over again tonight. The point of dispute. But when when a prosecution witness admits something that is against the prosecution's case and then the prosecutor comes back on and asks him the same question and he changes his mind, um, that looks a little fishy. Uh, Yeah, we're we're speaking to Ann Coulter. Check out her column this week at AnnCoulter.com on this. And it's first of all, I, I saw that clip that you're mentioning specifically about I mean, it is to be to be fair to everybody listening. It is tough, actually. It's not a clear, but it does sound like I ate too many drugs. It does. It does. That that's kind of what it sounds like. And if he said he's not on any drugs, as we know from the toxicology report, that is definitely not true. Um, right. Where where are right. we? Neutral for right. Where are we on the cause of death issue? Because it seems if we're trying to get to. The, if the defense is trying to get to a reasonable doubt standard, if they're really going to apply beyond a reasonable doubt for this jury, uh, the, the cause of death issue seems critical. And from what I've seen, the way the media is reported on this, again, versus what actually comes up in the courtroom itself, not aligned. Uh, no, not, not by a long shot. Um, mostly today, I guess. Um, and again, this is still the prosecution's case. The defense has not put on its witnesses, yes, has not produced its evidence. This is only cross-examination for the case being made by, by, by the prosecution. Um, and there are a whole slew of shots uh, of Derek Chauvin. Um, boy, you got a different angle. And it certainly looks like, in fact, yesterday um, the defense attorney got one of the Minneapolis, the Minneapolis police's uh, use-of-force trainer 
to to for one thing admit that it did, yes yes Chauvin's knee did seem to be on George Floyd's shoulder with the shin across the neck, which, as the use of force expert testified, is exactly what they are taught to do. One interesting thing came out today, and that is. Um, the prosecution just keeps putting on more and more use of use of force experts, hoping one of them will give the right answer without then taking it back on cross-examination. And uh, one of them today, a, a use of force expert from Los Angeles, I don't think he really added much. And also um, this happened in Minneapolis after a police officer was trained by the Minneapolis Police Department, not by the L.A. Police Department in any event. Even, yet and still, on defense, the Los Angeles use of force expert admitted that given what the, the situation Derek Chauvin was showing up to, he, he wasn't there to begin with. Um, of course, this is all nonsense that it was about a counterfeit bill. No, the police would have been very happy to just write George Floyd a summons for the counterfeit bill. But no, he wouldn't comply with orders. He wouldn't show his hands. The police drew their weapons. They're two little guys because we no longer have physical requirements for firemen or cops in America. Um, they call for backup. Um, by the time Chauvin shows up, he's heard the dispatcher and he's heard the, 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 the calls from the scene. He hears screaming in the background. They're trying to detain this guy. He's fighting with them. Chauvin shows up and the L.A. use of force um, expert says, yes, it would have been appropriate to use a taser on George Floyd at that point. Um, yesterday's Minneapolis use of force expert, I hope I'm not jumping around too much, but they're interesting points. And again, let me just say they're all the prosecution's witnesses. He said the whole reason we teach the, the knee across the shoulder and the training photos looked exactly like what Derek Chauvin was doing. It'll, it'll knock your socks off if you see that, what the defense presented. So this is part of your training materials in Minneapolis. Yes, it is. Looks exactly what, what, like what Derek Chauvin was doing. And the use of force expert explained the reason we do this stuff, the knee across the back, the, the get them in the prone position, is so that we don't have to hit them. We don't use violence. We don't use tasers. We don't use mace. We don't use a baton. So to avoid greater violence, we engage in these tactics that may look loose to bystanders, but are actually um, much gentler on the suspect. And that's what Derek Chauvin appears to have been doing. We're speaking to Ann Coulter, AnnCoulter.com, for her latest column. And just in our last couple of minutes here, uh, it seems to me like we all know where this is likely heading. Not, not the verdict. I actually I can't. I can't say that I can tell one way or the other, and I mean, obviously, no one really knows yet. But I wouldn't even. Seems to me like it could it could go either way, especially with maybe a lesser charge, not that not the top count, but one of the lesser charges. But what does seem almost certain is that there will be riots if he's acquitted. There will be widespread yeah. arson and looting and destruction, and multimillionaire news anchors who you know, live in Calorama and the Upper West Side, will be going on TV with the flames in the background telling us this is what an unjust America gets you. It feels like we all know how this is going to play out in that regard. Yes, yes. Well, of course, everyone is, is, and I think being a little too defeatist, especially if you watch the trial, most people, um, I mean, it's just become so common to be cynical about these things and, oh, well, this jury, it'll, it's going to convict even if he's innocent. Um, and having seen at this point all of the trial and only parts of it today, I, I, I just can't imagine all 12 jurors are going to have to sit in a room and say, OK, we know he's innocent, but let's 
let's just throw him to the wolves. Let's, let's sacrifice him so that our city doesn't burn down. Um, that's a difficult conversation to have. I would think there would be at least one holdout. I mean, this has to, all of this has to be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. Um, and I would would say to to any, I mean, they're, they're not listening, they're not allowed to listen to me, but any jurors who are afraid, oh no, if we don't convict, they'll, they'll burn the city of Minneapolis down. They're going to burn it down anyway. Rioting is fun. Nobody got punished. Riots have never been fun- punished in this country. Oh, unless it's deplorables, um, you know, taking over Nancy Pelosi's office like, like, like she's a college dean. No, that'll be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But for, for 40 years, riots don't get punished. They're fun. Um, yeah, we're all familiar with celebratory riots after a sports team wins. So, A, they're rioting one way or another. And... Um, I just can't imagine the conversation in the jury room. Yes, you're absolutely right. I think the media is is trying to create riots. That's fun to cover. They get high ratings, and it's not their homes or their livelihoods being destroyed. Ann Coulter, everybody. AnnCoulter.com for her latest. Ms. Coulter, always a pleasure. Thank you so much. Good to talk to you about. Bye-bye. Everyone is worried about climate change. Uh, If we do nothing and just sit on our hands... The awful year we've had with COVID would be repeated worse and worse and worse 10, 12 years from now and on into the future. That means a lot for us. Uh, I think of my little grandson, Noah, two years old. What kind of, you know, I've, had to, I've enjoyed the beauty of the globe. We would go hiking in the national parks every summer and saw the beauty of America. And um, will that be around if we do nothing? It may not. So it's sort of a win-win-win. It's a win. People will enjoy these vehicles. It's a win. People, America will stay number one and there'll be many new jobs. But it's a win that it will send far less carbon into the atmosphere and help us arrest the horrible specter of climate change, which could undo our whole globe and discombobulate every one of our lives every day in the future if we do nothing. I mean, that's like the rantings of a crazy person, right? We all understand that. That's Chuck Schumer. That is the senior senator from New York. You'd think that he would at least be connected to reality in some capacity. But if you thought that, I can assure you, you are wrong. Chuck Schumer is not connected to reality just because he's a senator. Chuck Schumer is nuts on the issue of climate change. It's going to affect every aspect of our lives. He's worried about his grandson being able to enjoy national parks. I mean, I say that who really first of all, I love it. He says everybody's worried about climate change. False. I am not worried at all. There are things I'm worried about. In fact, those of you who listen to this show a lot and have been listening for years know that in the summer of 2019, when I was asked in a roll call question, oh, what really concerns you? I said pandemic disease is something that we should be really worried about. True story. Because I've been saying this for a long time. That's always worried me. In fact, years ago, I used to talk in the show about either uh, a mutating virus or antibiotic-resistant bacteria as really high, con- you know, something that actually worries me about what I would do. And now, of course, we're seeing the consequence of this with COVID. Uh, but no, I-, I do not sit around worried about the climate change. Oh, my gosh. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Climate change. This is absurd. And they say all these things. It's just all such frivolous, vapid garbage. 
you know, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to create all these jobs and it's going to make us competitive for the future. And it's good. See, Fauci and Schumer, there's like a they sound a little Fauci's more like down here. Schumer's a little bit more, a little less gruff, but has a, a little bit of that New York accent. Not as not as strongly as Fauci's got a really serious New York accent. Schumer's got a little touch of the New York accent, but it's, it's a little a little light. You see what I mean? A little. But he's talking nonsense here. He's talking total nonsense. And this is somebody who actually has a lot of power. I mean, this is somebody that is making important decisions in the United States Senate. And he talks about this like, yeah, we're going to be we're going to have millions of jobs, win the future, be so competitive. If this stuff was all true and and provable and obvious, they act like it's obvious. Why isn't everybody doing it? Why isn't this happening all the time? Why isn't everyone? Oh, yeah, let's let's cut all of our CO2 emissions. Why did Democrats balk back in the Obama administration when they could have gotten cap and trade? Right. To, to deal with CO2 carbon offsets. No, they, they wouldn't do that. Why? They don't care about the future. Why is it that all these countries that sign on to the Paris Climate Accords don't actually meet their standards and nobody cares? Nobody loses, loses any sleep at night. Because this is just all a big, happy, self-congratulatory religious belief where all you have to do is sign on the dotted line of climate change and you're a smart, good person who cares. That you're basically worshiping you know, the wind, the stars, and the sky like some primitive religion doesn't matter. That Mother Earth has taken the place of an actual god, a celestial being that has a has created human beings in his image, that that's irrelevant to the lips. Because really, look, do, do you think that, that the waves of socialism that, that ripped through Europe all through the 20th century, you don't think that that same mentality exists here in America? Of course it does. Of course it exists here in America. We have socialists in our midst just like they do in Europe. The only difference is what they call themselves here. We have Marxists. Of course we have Marxists. I don't just mean the ones in college campuses who will openly call themselves Marxist. They just say there's something else because our political discourse punishes people to some degree for saying things like I'm a Marxist. Um, but less and less, as you see, Bernie Sanders, a Democrat, I'm a democratic socialist. Oh, and, and then there's what, what Kamala says. I mean, this is this sort of climate change, environmental wacko stuff is just getting worse and worse all the time. Because they have all these people that are climate scientists. Let me tell you this right now. 99 times out of 100, if you want to do climate science, is because you weren't actually good enough at science to do the kind of science that helps humanity and matters. It's a fact. We all know it. You know, no, no, one's, no one's going into climate science over, you know, microbiology because they had because they had such high scores in, in math and science. OK, it's just just obvious. But anyway, here's uh, here's Kamala Harris about wars being fought over water. Play 16. And here's the other thing, because I also, you know, I'm in a lot of meetings on foreign policy. You know, for years and generations, wars have been fought over oil. In a short matter of time, they will be fought over water. So when we think about building up our economy around our infrastructure on something like water policy, it's literally about jobs. It's about the fundamental source of life. 
that Tammy Duckworth was talking about. It will sustain life. And it's about strengthening up our nation around a commodity that is a precious commodity. I mean, what the hell are these Democrats talking about? These people are nuts. I mean, really, I don't know what else to say. They're just crazy. We we need we need the two trillion dollars of infrastructure spending so that we can prevent the future wars over water. That I mean, come on! This is the sitting vice president. Look at Biden. Look at Harris. They talked about how bad Trump was and he's not knowledgeable and he's so awful and stuff. This is who they replaced Trump with, these lunatics? Because a team buck party don't stop. It's time for Roll Call. Team buck party don't stop, especially if you pass the buck and you tell somebody out there about the Buck Sexton show. When I mean tell them, the best thing you can do is, you know how when you go on the iHeart app or in the Apple Podcast app and you see the Buck Sexton show, you can actually share it in a text message to somebody. So that's how you can pass the buck. Very easy way to do it. I know you post it on your, but no, there's got to be a conservative in your life. They might even be listening to a different conservative podcast. Boo. This is the best one. We all know it. Come on. Right. There's no need for false humility about this. Okay. This is the best one. Um, but you, you, you should share it with a friend or family member that you know is conservative or just cares about politics, wants to know about stuff. One person direct share. Check out the Buck Sexton show. That's the best. I, I, it's great if you post it on your Facebook page or whatever, but this, all I want for my birthday and Christmas from you this year, okay, and I'm asking for you, I'm asking in April, my birthday's in December, so obviously it's a long ways off. Um, all I want from you is to share the Buck Sexton Show podcast with one person, and it's so easy to do, like I said, um, on the iHeartRadio app or on the, in the Apple Podcast Store, you just click on share, and you go to a text message or an email. I'll take email, right, Producer Mark? I mean, I'm not going to be overly picky about my super early birthday present, so we can say email. Yeah, okay. I mean, you can send a carrier pigeon if you want, as long as it yeah, gets carrier. There. I don't care. It's carrier pigeon, you know. So there, there you have it. There you have it. Um, that's that's the way to do it. So please pass the buck that way. One person, just get it. And in everybody, everyone who listens to this show, especially who's a digital listener who's already listening on podcast uh, in some capacity. If you get one more person to listen, we're going to be smoking the competition. And it matters. There's all these lib podcasts that are popping up. Biden's amazing. Oh, it's horrible. It's horrible stuff. Don't you want to see me uh, beat them in the rankings? Don't you want to see us trounce them? You know, and, uh, you know, and there's even some some nasty conservatives out there, too, who are always trying to tear down other conservatives. I don't do that. But uh, help, help me beat some of those people. OK, some of those ones. Been in the game a little long, got a little fat, happy, and a, a little too full of themselves. So, anyway, pass the buck. All right, that's what I'm asking you to do. Let's get into it now. Oh, and by all means, write in for a roll call. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. Send us a message there. Instagram, we're doing a lot of stuff on the gram these days. Uh, at Buck Sexton. And Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to email us. So, we, we got all kinds of ways, all kinds of ways to do it. Right, producer Mark. So yeah, you can even send a Hogwarts owl, and hopefully uh, they'll find Buck. Would I need to send it with Quidditch? No, Qu- no. you even you don't know what Quidditch is, do you? No, it's like their sport. Ah, all right, I was yeah. close, but like the well, the, yeah, the, I wish I don't even know enough Harry Potter to make 
yeah. almost correct Harry Potter references. To, but to, to quickly explain it, the owls are like their post office. You just give it to an owl and tell it to go find Buck Sexton and they'll find you and give you the letter. I'm, I'm going to tell you this. And I know everyone makes fun of me because I think that exotic pets are so such a cool idea. I've always thought owls are really cool. You know, it'd be fun to have a little pet owl. Yeah, but they're nocturnal, so they would bother you while you try to sleep. Yeah, they also eat like mice and they poop out the bones. So that's going to be a messy thing. Yeah, that doesn't sound like a house pet. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, no, no. Plus, they get mad. Those talons, they get mad at you. It's going to get stuck in your arm or something. You, you don't want that, right? You don't, you never want a bird that can skewer, skewer you like a like a kebab. Yeah, that's, that's what bird sanctuaries are for, to go visit them. Yeah, look you can them. see them from afar and say, ooh, wow, look, at, look, at how, look how cool they are. All righty. Um, let's, uh, let's dive into all the latest here from our friend Ali. Hello, Buck. I'm a fan of your show. Well, Allie, that means you have excellent taste and are well-informed, so we're off to a great start. A proud conservative who's relocated to New York City and am struggling to find like-minded people and conservative groups. Many times I feel very alone in my beliefs, even though I am surrounded by millions of people. I thought I would reach out to you and see if you have any recommendations of new or new of any conservative groups I should reach out to in New York City. I also wanted to let you know about a recent experience I had at Yankee Stadium this past weekend. My husband and I had purchased tickets for Sunday's game 45 minutes before the game started. In hindsight, after MLB's recent announcement, I I wish we had not supported them in any way. Uh, We arrived at Yankee Stadium and were denied access to the game without proof of a vaccine or a negative COVID test. They were offering COVID tests around the corner for $25 per test. And at that point, my husband and I were too frustrated to pay the money. Um, I do not believe in the COVID passports or anything like that. As someone who lives in New York, how are you handling this? And is there anything we can do to stop this? Someone who's not planning to get the vaccine, I'm concerned what I'll be able to do and take advantage of in this wonderful city if passports are required. Thank you so much for reading this, and I appreciate your time. All right. Well, Allie, thank you for taking the time to write in and welcome to you and your husband to this liberal dystopia known as New York City that has been my home for basically my entire adult life. I mean, over 30 years. I know this place very, very well. So, Allie, if you want to do like restaurant recommendations or whatever, send in a separate note and, you know, I'll I'll tell you where all the good stuff is. Uh, But as for okay, you got a, a couple of things going on here. One is your experience at um, Yankee Stadium. I feel like producer Mark would tell you it's what you get when you go to the Yankees instead of the Mets, right, Mark? I mean, uh, well, of course uh, I can go there, but I, actually, uh, I'm sorry, Allie, but I'm going to have to give you the L on this one. I mean this in the nicest way possible, but I mean, just I'm sure when you bought the ticket, it said something that you needed a uh, negative COVID test before you got it. They're saying it to everyone before you buy a ticket. So, um, you know, I think you kind of have Whoa, to Oh, look at producer there, Mark you know. here. Uh, he's like the what? PR department for Major League Baseball all of a sudden. No, no I, I, listen, I am a sports <laughs> fan, so I understand that New York is the only state requiring testing. So I just is know Is that the really rules. the case? That's awful. New yes. York is the only state that's doing that? At least oh, in this God. area, because I know Jersey I gotta is get not, out of here. Jersey's I gotta not, get out I don't know about place. some of the other states, but I'm pretty sure they're the only one, yeah. That is, that is utter madness i didn't realize that yeah but look i, I totally believe it right i mean you're saying it and i go oh i exactly. bet that's true like, i at, bet that's true at this point you know with the pandemic you kind of have to check before you buy a ticket to an event because especially in new york you know it's a cuomo rule it's not the yankees saying that it's not the mets it's cuomo uh, oh let me tell you what i'm gonna do i'm gonna make baseball 
a really annoying and frustrating experience. Why? Because I want everyone to be as sad as I am because I'm barely able to keep my job. Why am I barely able to keep my job? Because I like to, I believe the word is ogle and perhaps uh, canoodle with female staffers that are very young that I shouldn't be harassing in that way. Why do I do this? Because my name is Cuomo and my dad was the governor before me. Basically, that's that's what's actually happening. So just so everybody knows, that's how this actually goes. Um, oh, and then so I'm sorry about your experience, Allie, because I am not the major league PR uh, PR department. And uh, and as for p- COVID passports, um, yeah, no, New York's going to be really bad with this. And people are going to be masking up for the rest of this year because they're crazy. People are going to mask up for the rest. It doesn't matter what the caseload is. Oh, my gosh. What if it comes back? Let's all mask up. It'll protect us. They're going to mask up the rest of the year. double mask. If you don't double mask, of course, you're you're a savage. You're a bad person. Uh, so they're going to double mask. Or they're even vaccinated people, people like me. I'm going to soon be uh, immune and vaccinated, and I'm still going to be expected to mask up. That's insane. It's wrong, but they need control. Fauci needs to control you. He needs to be calling the shots. So just saying. Um, as for um, conservatives here in this city, well, I can tell you this is a little ways off, but I'm going to be speaking at a live event at the New York Metropolitan or the Metropolitan Republican Club on the 6th of May. The, Metro, the Metropolitan Republican, Republican Club is going to host me for a live speech on the 6th of May uh, that evening. So go to the Metropolitan Republican Club website. You'll see, if I'm not listed there yet, I will be soon. But May 6th, Allie, mark it in your calendar. You and your husband show up. We'll, uh, I'll give a speech. I'll be funny and entertaining. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have some wine afterwards with the folks who are congregated there. We'll have some fun. So, uh, and you'll meet a whole bunch of Republicans there. So there you go. Metropolitan Republican Club, May 6th. Anybody who's New York City, by the way, please come out to that. So I actually have people. It won't. It's not fun to give a speech if it's just... If just me and like, you know, producer Mark sitting in the last chair when I know he'd rather be watching baseball because he hears from me three hours a day. So I can't really expect the guy to have to show up for live events, too. But if producer Mark, if nobody shows, you got to show. Yeah. If nobody buys tickets, which I doubt will happen, I will come and support. Yeah, no, no. I'm, I'm sure it'll be fine. But I'm just I'm just trying to, you know, tug on the heartstrings here. So people will uh, will make sure they come come out in full force. Team Buck NYC will come out with all they've got. Continuing on with our roll call, let's get to it. Catherine uh, writes, I have no idea how I will survive when you no longer mock Fauci. It makes me laugh every day. Thank you for your podcast. Keep the Patriots happy with your voice. Well, Catherine, don't worry. The good news for you is that the Fauci, he's already like 115 years old. He's been working for the N-I-A-I-A-I-H-I-I or whatever since about the First World War. So really, I mean, you think that that there are experts out there, but Fauci was around for when they invented vaccines. Like that guy, Jonas Salk or whatever, he, Fauci was there. He was right. He was going, he was going Jonas, I know what you got to do here, buddy. You got to just, you know, vaccine. You got to mitigate. You got to establish a plateau and the numbers will come in. That was all for you, Catherine. I hope you enjoyed TJ Buck. I really appreciated your tangent about the necessity for more open debates in this country. I think it goes without saying the left doesn't feel that they need open debate because they hopefully mistakenly 
believe they have full control of the current trajectory of the nation. I think many of us on the right know from historical evidence that there's no such thing as full control, and they will likely lose it sooner than they think. With that being said, the temperature in this country could be turned down significantly if we could just have open, honest debates. Imagine if there was a two to three hour program every week that hosted debates between the largest names on both sides of the aisle, Tucker and Maddow, AOC and Crenshaw, uh, yourself and Joy Behar. I just want to hear the voice. Oh, Joy will be debating Buck. She'll love it. She'll, oh, oh, darling, come here. Come debate. Let's talk. I read so much, I swear. I'm very knowledgeable. Quack, quack. Quack, quack. Stop it. (laughs) It's something that's worth pursuing the midterm next year in 2022. Eventually, the right will be in power again. And I hope that we have the fortitude to offer room for open, honest, civil debates from those on the left. If we try to silence them or shut them out like they do to us in the moment, it will only end up backfiring on us in the future. You know, TJ, you think about this. And first of all, thank you so much. I appreciate when I go on just random tangents that that sometimes can be a, 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 a particularly worthwhile or memorable part of the show for all. Because I know there's, you know there's so much news aggregation and information out there and all that stuff. But I, I try to really, you know, I try, I try to tell you a story every day with everything thrown into it. All the it's like I'm, I'm trying to let everyone just borrow my uh, stream of consciousness to, to their own benefit. That's the idea. And and I think that, that when you look at the the earlier days, even of conservative media, if you look at firing line with Buckley, you know, Buckley had he would sit down and, and he would debate Noam Chomsky at length. I mean, the the beginnings of what we think of as cable news, political counterpoint was really Buckley and Gore Vidal. Now, that didn't really end so well, if you remember. But I mean, the point is, it was. You had you had heavyweights for their respective sides who would actually match wits and arguments and intellects that never happens anymore. It never happens. I mean, the closest thing that I that I come across is honestly, I do a show with Mark Lamont Hill, who's a very, very left wing. I mean, he's basically a Marxist and he's he's a black guy. He's a Democrat. He's very left wing. Uh, he has a lot of uh, background in, in culture and music stuff. And and he used to work at CNN when I was there, but doesn't work there anymore. It's a, a whole nother story. And and I like him as a person. We get along well. I think he's basically wrong about everything, but he's eloquent and honest about what he believes. And so it's a, at least we and we're not having a, a debate. We're trying to win. We're trying to. Here's my side. Let me hear your side, because that's the only way you can do it these days. If you get into the three minute cable news, you know, rock'em, sock'em stuff, you're not making an argument, and it's all rigged. It's like the WWE of intellectual exercises, right? This this is why I stopped. I went to CNN for two years. People said, why? Because I wanted to be able to make the conservative case at CNN. And after a year, I mean, at, at first I was really doing terrorism analysis there. After my first year, they started having me do more political stuff. Then I realized this is just a rigged game. You go on. They don't let you talk. They, the anchor talks over you. The anchor's against you. They pick the topics. They pick the quotes to throw on the screen and the whole thing. And you're debating the anchor and the Democrat guest or maybe two Democrat guests and an anchor. I mean, you're you, you're so overwhelmed in terms of the time that you'll be given. 
It doesn't matter what you say. You can sit there and be the smartest person on planet Earth. You're going to be, oh, I don't know. You don't have time to make your argument. You sound like a doofus. So, I mean, occasionally I got to smack some libs around there. There were a couple of clips that went viral, but that was always on the terrorism stuff, really. Not so much in the political stuff, but that's because I knew that better than those people that they had on air. They had all these academics who'd come on. I don't know a damn thing about any of this stuff, uh, terrorism-wise. Um, anyway, TJ, see, that still gets me fired up. Tim, hey, Buck, I appreciate your radio program very much. Like you, I recently got COVID-19, tested positive a little more than two weeks ago. No sense of smell, but early headache and fever didn't last long. Well, that's good to hear, Tim. I'm a Catholic elementary school teacher. I have been well enough to teach from home, which has been part of the deal this year, as you know. Tons of peer and institutional pressure to take a vaccine. But even at 50, I'd rather let my immune system and my healthiest lifestyle fight the disease. You've stated on air you're going to take the vaccine, or at least I heard you say you have an appointment. My question is, why do you believe the vaccine is useful for someone who has recovered from the disease? Are you convinced the vaccine, any of them, is safer for you than risking another natural infection and immune response? Tim, Great question, and I, I would want to spend more time in this. Maybe I can get to this more tomorrow. Um, I, I'm, I'm taking the vaccine, or I'm, I'm scheduled to take the vaccine, only because I don't want to be harassed by all the, the lunatics in the system about not being vaccinated. If you're asking me personally, do I think somebody, especially like me, who's had it, should get a vaccine? Um, if, if I could go to my normal life and travel and do things without getting the vaccine, I assure you I would not get it. Okay, so I, I hope that answers the question. Uh, it's kind of like, why do I wear a mask? Because otherwise they're going to kick me out of my building, not because I believe in it. That's it for today, team. Thanks so much for listening. Back tomorrow, Shields High.